Good morning. What a wonderful day to gather together to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. It is my great joy to introduce to you the, the one who's going to be bringing God's word to us this morning. His name is Daniel Seichang. Now, Daniel grew up in our church. Uh, I was, think it was in Auntie Rain Sunday School class, right? Everybody's been through Auntie Rain Sunday School class. And, um, and Daniel uh, has been with us for over, just over a year. Uh, he uh, is serving as an intern in our church. He's actually on assignment. A lot of it's outside of our church as assigned by me. But the Lord's been blessing Daniel, using him uh, for the sake of the gospel. He served for eight years at a church called Selah. And uh, he came from Selah to us. And in, the, in between, he got married. His wife, Mo, they've been married for about a year and a half. So uh, God's been blessing him on many, many different fronts. And so it's our great privilege to have Daniel share the word of God with us this morning. Daniel. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for the kind words, Pastor Corey. That means a lot. Uh, well, good morning and welcome to Evergreen SGV. Uh, like Pastor Corey mentioned, my name is Daniel and I'm currently one of the interns here. It is a complete and absolute joy for me to be here this morning and to stand before you and have the privilege of preaching God's word. As a young boy, I believe this was my pipe dream. My dream one day to be able to stand before Evergreen SUV and preach the good news of who Jesus is. Uh, back in 97, my family and I started coming to Evergreen SUV and it, my first Sunday actually was uh, when we moved to Rio Hondo. And I remember that first Sunday where we couldn't really find out where to park. And it was hilarious to see everybody try to figure out how to park that Sunday. But I remember going through the Sunday school, through Auntie Rain's class, and I remember the Lord uh, just gave my parents such faithfulness to bring me to youth group every single Friday night, and I came to grow and know who Jesus is. And I remember I gave my trust and placed my trust in who God is throughout high school, and I came to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. What a joy it's been. Since then, the Lord has called me to full-time ministry, uh, as Pastor Corey mentioned, and he has graced me with the opportunity to shepherd a church for uh, roughly eight years of my life, and it has been a tremendous joy. Uh, since then, the Lord has called me from that church, and here I'm back at Evergreen where I grew up, and what a joy it is to be here. Uh, my wife and I moved here, and it's been about a, a year or so, and it's been such a learning experience. The church is so much bigger than I remember it to be, um, but nevertheless, it's been such a joy. Today, I have uh, such a privilege uh, to be jumping back into John chapter 8. Um, I, it's been a while since we've been in John 8, and so I want to give us a kind of a recap of all that's going on. And so if you, your, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of John. We're going to be taking a look at chapter 8 specifically. And before we just jump right into it, I think it's important to get some context of what's going on. So here in John 8 so far, we have Jesus, and he's having this dialogue, or maybe a better word would be debate. He's having this conversation that's getting pretty heated with Jewish rulers. Uh, the rulers consist of uh, you know, religious people such as scribes and Pharisees, and the conversation that's going on, there's a lot of name calling, uh, there's a lot of accusations, there's a lot of claims going on, and it's, it's getting pretty heated. Now, the reason why we're getting some context is because the passage we're going to look at this morning is the end of John 8, which is the climax of the entire chapter. And so I think it was before the All Church Summer Conference, Pastor Rocky was walking us through parts of this passage. And so if we would all rise for the reading of God's word, we're going to start with John chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 43. 
Hear the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking, 43. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. 46. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and just the absolute privilege to study your word. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and who you are. And as we study this passage, God, we pray that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds to be receptive of your word this morning. I thank you, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations upon my heart be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Okay, so this passage, there's a lot going on, right? There's a lot of name calling. First off, Jesus calls these religious leaders. They're not just nobodies, right? They're religious leaders, specifically Pharisees, scribes. He calls them children of Satan, okay? He calls them children of Satan. So obviously, there's going to be a lot of emotions going on here, a lot of accusations, a lot of claims. And the big question that these religious leaders are trying to find out is simply one question. They're simply trying to find out who is Jesus. They see Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, doing a lot of things, lots of miracles, a lot of activities, lots of teachings, and they wanna question him to find out what is this man teaching? Who is this man? Who is Jesus? And that is their goal. So they're having this dialogue back and forth, right? So Jesus calls them children of Satan, okay? In verse 44, it says, you belong to your father, the devil, all right? So there's a lot going on. It also says that Jesus says that they're spiritually deaf. In 43, why is my language not clear? Because you're unable to hear. Throughout scripture, specifically the gospels, right? Jesus would be speaking to the crowds and he would constantly say, let those who have ears let them hear. It's not that many people don't have ears, it's that he's not talking about simply a physical hearing. Jesus is constantly talking about keeping our hearts open, that we would hear what Jesus is teaching. Now, Jesus teaches often in mysterious language, sometimes hidden language, right? He would be speaking through the parables where there's hidden meaning, and maybe this truth, some people weren't ready to accept it yet. Maybe their hearts weren't open to it yet. And constantly Jesus would be teaching with this language that those who wanted to hear, those who sought to hear, would hear. But those that would want to argue, those that didn't really care, they would miss the deeper truth. And so it's no different in this passage as he's talking to these Pharisees. But the main question everybody wants to know, and what we want to explore this morning, is who is Jesus? And so we're going to start with our passage for today. Continuing on in 48, we're just going to take it verse by verse and walk through it together, okay? Uh, John 8, 48, it says this, The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Okay, we'll stop right there. 
So they call our Lord and Savior demon-possessed, okay? So this is the tone of the conversation that they're having right now. There's a lot going on, okay? This is the end of a long and heated debate, and now there's names being thrown around, such as the Samaritan. Maybe they're trying to discredit his bloodline. No, Jesus was not a Samaritan. More than that, they call him demon-possessed, and we know our Lord and Savior was not possessed by a demon, perhaps trying to discredit right, his state of mind. But it continues in 49. Jesus responds calmly, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. 50. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. He is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys, okay, it says, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And at this, they exclaim, now we know that you are demon-possessed. In the midst of the question this morning of who is Jesus, there are three questions I want to ask myself. I want to look at three different groups of people, really. The first one we want to find out is, well, what do other people say? Right? What do other people say? Who do others claim Jesus is? Now, we know in today's day and age that that question is not a new one. A lot of people have a lot to say about who our Jesus is. There's a lot of claims today, not just in the scriptures, but today in our schools, in societies, in our governments, around the world. There's a lot of conversation about who Jesus is, and not only who Christ is, but also there's questions of, well, What about these Christians that claim to have faith in their Lord and Savior Jesus? What about them? What do they say? There's a lot of accusations going on today, not just about Jesus, but about the followers of Jesus. You see, today, Christianity sometimes have a a reputation, so to speak, and sometimes maybe not the best one. Oftentimes, we're heard and we're classified as maybe traditional, maybe even conservative, perhaps even irrelevant. People even say Christians are perhaps even ignorant and we're arrogant to claim that there's only one way to heaven. Some people say that we're narrow-minded. It's even hateful to believe what we believe sometimes. Some people say it's politically incorrect, that miracles, right, they don't exist, right? Jesus was merely a teacher. This perversion, This twisted view of Jesus is invading our schools. It's invading our workplaces. This is happening today. And in the midst of all this noise, in the midst of all this conversation about who is Jesus, who is he in the world today, all this noise, how do we as Christians decipher, how do we know who our Lord is? This is not a new conversation today. This was happening at the time of Jesus, as the crowds were coming around Jesus, trying to figure out who is Jesus. There's all this noise, speculation, there's reputation going around, and and people are trying to find out who is Jesus. And so in this passage, I believe Jesus makes himself pretty clear who he is. So let's continue. Okay, Uh, verse 52, it says, Abraham died, okay, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Or he died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Okay, they ask him straight out, who do you think you are? 54, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. 
My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Okay, so Jesus does something pretty extreme here. He makes a very strong distinction. Okay, he differentiates right now between knowing and knowing about. Okay, he makes a difference between knowing about God, having the knowledge of God, versus having an intimate and personal relationship with God. Remember who Jesus is teaching and who he's talking to right now. He's talking to Pharisees, religious leaders. These people were very, very familiar with God's word. They weren't foreign to it. Scribes, for example, their profession literally was to read the scriptures and copy it word for word. They were extremely familiar with the law. They were extremely familiar with who God was, okay? Same thing with the Pharisees. It was their responsibility to teach God's people about who God was, right? Sometimes misguided according to Jesus, right? But that was their profession. That's what they did. So they were very well aware of who God was. Yet Jesus here says, you do not know him. When I read this, I'm like, how can you say that? These Pharisees and scribes, they were very aware of who God was. Yet our Lord Jesus said, you don't even know, you don't know him. Jesus makes a strong distinction between knowing about God, having the knowledge of God versus actually having a personal relationship with him. Just like, for example, today, celebrities or sports stars, right? We could watch them on TV. We could follow them on Instagram. We could see what they were doing. We could watch them on the court, what their movies or whatever they're in, right? We, we can know all about them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you actually sat down and had a meal with them. It doesn't mean you actually have their phone number and have access to them and talk with them. Just because you know about someone doesn't necessarily mean you have a personal relationship with them. And that's scary because in this passage, Jesus is calling out the religious leaders about simply knowing about God, having the theology correct, knowing about God, having your doctrines correct, doing the proper traditions, having all those things set, yet there may not have been a personal, personal experience, personal relationship. And Jesus says something very strong. In 55, it says, though you do not know him, it says, I know him, all right? And he's, he continues to say that he obeys God's word. Now, the word obedience is unique because he attaches it with the word knowledge. You see, because knowledge, intimate knowledge of God will yield, will, will produce obedience. Our personal relationship with God, right, in essence, will yield the fruits of the Spirit. It will yield a byproduct. And one of them is obedience. Yet in this passage, we see there are people who know about God very well. They know all this stuff in their heads, yet there was no perhaps lifestyle change. Perhaps there was no obedience to that word. And so there's a strong distinction that Jesus makes. Let's continue in 56. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced, okay? Abraham, right, someone that these Jewish people 
revered Father Abraham, the promise that God gave to Abraham that the people that came from Abraham would be God's chosen people, right? In, in 56, it says, your father Abraham, the one you revere, Abraham rejoice at the thought of seeing my day. Okay, Jesus is saying Abraham thought of Jesus's day and rejoiced. It continues, he saw it and was glad. 57, you're not you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, right? And you've seen Abraham? Okay, so there's a lot going on here. That's, that's weird, right? Because we know right, Abraham, Old Testament, Genesis, Jesus, right? In this passage, John 8, there's roughly like over 2,000 years going on here, right? And, and the Pharisees are stumped. They're confused. They're saying, Jesus, you're not, right? you're not even 50. You're like middle-aged. And Abraham being dead for so long now. How can you say that you were around? How, how did you meet each other? What's going on here? Right? There's some confusion. And so in this cryptic language, mysterious conversation, Jesus concludes this entire passage with very, very clear, right? Very clear declaration of who he is. Not only do we want to know who do other people say Jesus is, Let's find out who Jesus says he is. Who does Jesus claim himself to be? In 58, let's continue on. In 58, so Jesus wants to just set the score straight. He wants to be very clear here. And it's, it's so bold. It's so loud, okay? 58, it says this. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, at this statement, they picked up their stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, mind you, in this entire passage, there's a lot of conversation, right? There's a lot of argument. There's a lot of name-calling and heated debate going on. Yet the Pharisees were continuing to talk. Yet Jesus said something so extreme, so bold, that at this point, they wanted to stone him. In fact, in their eyes, it was their responsibility to stone him. He said something in their eyes so blasphemous, so outrageous, they had to stone him. Okay, so let's look at what, what did he say and what does that even mean that was so extreme that warranted that action of wanting to stone him. Look at 58. So Jesus says this in 58, very truly I tell you, which means this is trustworthy. What I'm about to say is very true. It's trustworthy, I promise you, okay? 58, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Okay, so we have to unpack this a little bit, right? There's many things that Jesus does, but there's two things that he does in that statement. Well, the first thing, Jesus reveals his pre-existence. Before Abraham was born, I am? Are you saying before Abraham was born, you, you existed? We learn and we know that Jesus was, he is, and he will always be. We learn of his pre-existence. He, we, we find this out in John 1, right? In, be, in the beginning was the word. We find out that Jesus was there in the very beginning of all things. Christ was already there. He didn't just come out in the New Testament, right? Christmas Day, all of a sudden he's here. No, he was here from the very, very beginning. So we find that out in this statement. But that's not why they wanted to stone him, okay? 
And this excites me because this is really, really extreme what he says. So not only does he express his pre-existence really, he talks about his identity. In this entire passage, there's a lot of conversation, but he concludes it with very clear language of who he is. He reveals his identity right here, loud and clear. Remember today, you know, we're so distant from the time of Jesus, but these scribes, these Pharisees, they were very aware of the law. They were very aware of the scriptures. And so he said something that was so extreme that they wanted to stone him. You see this, this phrase, I am, actually the name, I am, comes from the Old Testament, right? Back in the book of Exodus, you find out there's this man named Moses minding his own business in the fields where he walks along one day and he sees a burning bush and God decides to reveal himself to Moses in a burning bush. And so Moses, being startled, has this dialogue with God, right? Where he has this encounter at the burning bush and there's a lot going on, but God invites Moses. That's really what God does. He's inviting Moses to be a, bar, a part of that story, to go to Egypt, right? And to rescue the people of Israel who are currently being enslaved, to rescue God's people. And so Moses has this dialogue with God. There was a lot of excuses he's throwing out because he's afraid to do it. But eventually he gets to a point where he wants to know more details about how to get this done. And so we get this passage in Exodus 3 that the scribes and the Pharisees were very, very aware of. So I think I have it on the screen. Exodus 3, verse 13, it says this, this dialogue with Moses and God. Moses, he said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name, okay? What is his name? What shall I tell them, right? Dialogue with God. If I'm gonna go to Egypt, confront Pharaoh, ask him to do some crazy stuff such as let my people go, right? Who do I tell them sent me, right? The specific phrase is, if they ask me, what is his name, okay? What is his name? What shall I tell tell them. So Moses is asking right now is God, or burning bush, right? This is a weird encounter that's going on. He's, he's like, okay, God, you're telling me to do some crazies. What's your name? What is your, how can I call you? What should I call you? What is your name? What is the name of the one who's calling me? Okay, what is your name? Look how God responds, okay? Uh, in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay, remember the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were very aware of this passage. They were very aware of the scriptures. And so when Jesus has this conversation with the Pharisees and they ask, really, who are you? You're saying a lot, you're doing a lot, right? You call us Satan, or you call us children of Satan. Who, who are you to have such authority to heal and to teach and to forgive sin? Who are you that you can do this? And Jesus makes himself so clear in the passage where he answered, before Abraham was born, I am. He uses the name of God to describe himself, okay? 
Not only do we want to be concerned about what other people say Jesus is, who does Jesus say he is himself? Who does Jesus claim himself to be? Look to the scriptures. Don't look to people. Look to the scriptures to see how God describes himself, how Jesus describes himself. And according to the scriptures, this is how he describes himself, okay? Jesus says that he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He's the door of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He is the true vine. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first. He's the last. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the lion. He is the lamb. He's the savior of the world. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the great I am. This is who Jesus is. He is the son of God. And in fact, he is God himself. And that is what he does in that declaration. He tells everybody before Abraham was born, I am. He is God himself. And at that statement, the Pharisees could not hold their anger. They could not hold their, you know, expression. They felt like it was their responsibility at that point to stone the man because they could not accept Jesus to be who he claims himself to be. They could not accept the fact that he is God and he's standing before him. They could not accept that. So instead of receiving Jesus' words, they decide to reject his words. Instead of receiving his words that could bring life, they decide to reject him and live a life apart from him. Isn't that sad that the Pharisees and the scribes who were so, so close to the word, who knew so much of the word, they studied it day and night. Pharisees, they even had scrolls of scripture attached to their foreheads and chests walking around. I mean, these guys were insane. They really, really took it seriously. Yet God himself sent down his one and only son who was present physically in their midst, yet they missed out on it. How remarkable that they would see Christ so clearly, yet miss out. How it's possible to know about, yet not actually personally know. Now we hear about what other people are saying about Jesus, and and we even see so clearly so boldly what Jesus says about himself. But the real question today, and I believe that's appropriate for our church, is not just what God says he is, and I think we worship that we know that, but who do you say Jesus is? And that's really the question I believe that is worth considering. Who do you claim Jesus to be? I'm not asking who do your parents claim Jesus to be? Who do your kids claim Jesus to be? Who does your pastor claim Jesus to be? The question this morning is, who do you, who do you claim? Who do you say Jesus is? Because that is the important question. Not just for today. Jesus himself asked that very question to his disciples who were following him, who saw the miracles. See, there's this passage in in Matthew chapter 16. I think we have it up here. And Jesus asks the same question. When Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples in verse 13, who do people say the son of man is? Okay, who do other people think I am? 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, 
Some say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? Verse 15, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Not them, okay? They, they may think I'm like one of the prophets. They may think I'm someone else. No, no, what about you, okay? What about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, right? Simon Peter here, he answered, you, right? You are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the chosen one. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter, a man who is known for his brash you know, actions, right here, he nails it right on the head that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, Jesus himself asked, what do other people say? Okay, but what about you? I believe this morning that's the question we need to ask. Not what other people say Jesus is, because we hear that all the time on the news, in our schools, in our workplaces. We, we know that. And in our churches, we have a, a very strong theology. We know, according to the scriptures, who God is. But the question this morning is you. Who do you claim Jesus is? Because according to Jesus, there is a strong difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. And the key in that is when Jesus says, and I obey his words. You see, church, there's something that happens when you intimately and personally know Jesus. Not just in the head. It starts there, sure. But there's more than that. There's an obedience that is birth, that is yield. So there's something this morning you need to obey. Is the Lord pressing something upon your heart this morning that you need to just obey? See, the beauty of this morning, uh, we have a very unique privilege this morning to come before the table. This morning is Communion Sunday where we have the privilege, the opportunity to come and, and celebrate and remember our Lord Jesus Christ, that God himself would send his one and only son to pay the penalty of our sins on that cross that we might have life, but not just life, that we might have relationship with him now and forevermore. That is the invitation that God gives us. And the question really this morning is, well, who do you claim, who do you say Jesus is? This morning, if you've never placed your faith in our Lord Jesus, you know about God, you heard about God, you've been coming to church, but in your heart, it has not come to that place. This morning is the morning. Today's the day. Look what Scripture says in Romans, okay? Chapter 10, verse 9. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, okay, with your mouth, profession of faith, but you believe in your heart, okay, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, promise right there, you will be saved. It's not just with the mouth, but it's also with the heart. It's not just of an intellectual decision, but there is a lifestyle shift, isn't there? A decision of the heart that we choose to believe in who God is. And so this morning, as they have this dialogue between Jesus and the rulers, it's not just a, a mental debate, intellectual debate. God's not just concerned with 
what's going on up here, but he is also concerned about what's happening in our hearts. And as we prepare our hearts to celebrate and remember his goodness for us on that cross, would you profess who Christ is, that he is the great I am. He is trustworthy. He is forgiving. If there's anything in your hearts this morning that you need to turn from, what a beautiful day of repentance. What a beautiful day of turning. Who is Jesus? When you close your eyes, when you worship our Lord, what comes to mind? Shall we pray? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the great opportunity to study your word. Lord, we thank you so much for the great privilege to come before the table and reflect and remember your faithfulness, that you would send down your one and only son, that we might have life, we might have relationship. And God, we want to pray right now for those in this room, if anybody, if anybody in this room has not yet experienced our God in a personal way, not just in the head, but in the heart, if anybody in this room has not come to believe in Jesus as their personal, experiencing personal relationship with Jesus, this morning we want to give you an invitation to place your faith and to come to know our loving God. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you, if you believe that, if you would just repeat after me in the quietness of your heart, and God will answer. He will honor that. God, just pray, dear God, I thank you that you are the great I am. I believe that I am a sinner and that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. I want to know you, not just in the head, but in the heart. Thank you. You can close that prayer off with an amen. And with all eyes closed and heads bowed, with the exception of our staff, what we want to do is celebrate with you and pray for you. And if you prayed that prayer, even in the quietness of your heart, God will honor that. But for our staff, we want to pray for you. So if you prayed that prayer with all eyes closed, would you just raise your hand? We would love to just pray for you and support you in your decision to follow Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, go ahead and lift your hands nice and high so staff can see it and pray for you. Thank you. Anybody else, just raise your hand nice and high. Thank you, Lord, that you are our God and we love you, Lord. This morning as we come into a time of communion, Father, would you bless our family? Would you bless our church family as we come in worship? May it be an intimate and rich time as you remember you are the great I am. You are such a powerful God and you made yourself accessible to each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.